Welcome to Every Step Podcast. I'm Christina Weston. And I'm Judith Beck. Every Step is the podcast where career and life meet. With a new guest every episode, we explore the gutsy issues affecting everyone in the workplace. Today, we are joined by Will Gadera author of the national bestseller, Unreasonable Hospitality, which chronicles the lessons in service and leadership he learned over the course of his career in restaurants. Will is the former co-owner of Eleven Madison Park, which under his leadership received four stars from the New York Times, three Michelin stars, which is outstanding, and in 2017 was named the number one restaurant in the world. Welcome, Will. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be with you too. Yeah, we're excited to have you here. We all love to be surprised and delighted, but we're also really quick to tell everyone if we've had a bad experience. And we're probably more vocal when we've had a bad experience than when we've had a good one. So, Will, we love the title of your book. Can you explain to us what unreasonable hospitality is? Yes, unreasonable hospitality is just making the choice to be creative and intentional in pursuit of relationships with, well, kind of everyone around you, whether it's at work with the people you work with or those that you collectively serve in life, um, with the people you choose to care about. And, and the words unreasonable hospitality are, are really meant to say that, well, I don't care what you do for a living, you you can make the choice to be in the hospitality industry simply by making this decision to be as unreasonable in how you make people feel as you very likely already are in pursuit of whatever product you're selling. If you look across disciplines, the people that are the most successful are unreasonable in pursuit of their product and its design and its excellence and its innovation, whatever it is. And I'm simply making the case that we should take that same approach and apply it to building relationship capital. And that's so key in every single business because at the end of the day, people buy things from other people. Hmm. Yeah, I mean... Not only do people buy things from other people, but people work for other people or with other people or um, do business with other people. I mean, no matter what you do for a living, you are somewhere in a labyrinth of relationships. And if you are focused only on the product, if you're focusing your efforts only on efficiency, I, I believe it's very likely that you're going to be less efficient because by not investing in people and in relationships, you have an inability to draw the most meaning and the best results out of, out of the people around you. Absolutely. I remember when, um, when I was running my executive search business years ago, I had training staff coming in and I'd say, look, every person that walks through that door needs to feel welcomed and you're not just the receptionist. You are the welcoming committee, basically. And you need to make them feel very special. And don't just say hi, have a conversation with them and, and talk to them for a bit. There were there was two reasons I did that. One, I wanted them to feel well, uh, 
good. But I also wanted to know what the the uh, person at the front desk knew or felt about that person as well. Were they being two different people when they were coming in and then when they saw me? But the main thing is making them feel so welcome. And um, I remember my dad, the first lesson that my dad gave in, in that sort of unreasonable hospitality, because I think every business, regardless of what it is, is a hospitality business. The corporate business or hospitality, you got to make them feel, you know, like they're they're welcome. And and he went into we went into this grocery store one time. They were having this big sale, and they um, they had signs everywhere, but there was nobody helping anybody. And he mm. had the big cart full six kids, you know. So there was a lot of food in there and everything, and no people helping. And he called over the um, the manager. And he said, you spent all this money getting us in the store and then you get us here and you do nothing about it. And he grew, he, he took my hand and we walked out and he left the, 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 that was his way of saying, this is not good enough. <laughs> it's a silent protest. Silent I, went, protest. I went to see my mother-in-law who was the partner at an accounting firm years ago. And when I walked in, the, the woman at the front desk, the receptionist, at least that's what I thought she was at the time, was the most lovely person and engaged me and was interactive and unbelievably welcoming. And I said to my mother-in-law, I said, that may be the most hospitable receptionist I've ever met. She goes, that's not the receptionist. Her title is Director of First Impressions. Mm. Oh, I love that. <laughs> because I do think titles matter. And the title you give someone says to them very loudly and clearly what your expectations are of them. If someone's role is receptionist, they are by definition just there to receive, as opposed to if you tweak something as simple as a title, you you call to the center of the conversation, kind of the importance and the nobility of the role. And there is nobility in that role, which is how you welcome someone is how you encourage them to let their guards down such that everyone else has a genuine ability to connect with them in an authentic way. Um, and so I resonate with that. Absolutely. I love yeah. that because they are the, they're the face of the business. The first impression that you get when, when you walk in where we are seeing Christine and I were talking about yeah. this today because Canva has um, had a vibe and that person's role is just to make sure the vibe is good within the business, <laughs> what they can do. And so we're starting to see, and I think probably with all the remote happening now, we're going to start seeing, what was the, wasn't there a title, Christina, that Darren Murph had about head of remote, but it was something that that, that person had to, to take care of the. Yeah, it was really, I can't remember the exact title, but it was really, it was all about taking care somebody who just focused on how people were feeling and their and their well-being and and how they were coping it was a brand new job mm. a brand new job so i think we're seeing we're seeing a lot of that we're seeing a lot of that well and by the way and i think it's an appropriate thing to do i mean listen when i when i talk about every business can make the choice to be in the hospitality industry so you said before every business is in the hospitality industry i I would caveat that by saying everyone can be, but it's about how you focus on the work that determines whether you are or whether you aren't, right? Yeah. When I talk about being just as unreasonable in pursuit of how you make people feel as you are the product itself, if you go to an automotive company, no one is questioning whether or not they need 
I've never worked in an automotive company, so take this with a grain of salt, to pay someone to put the wheels on the car, right? It's well understood that that is a necessary part of the product. When someone makes the choice to be in the hospitality industry, that's them making the decision that it is as necessary to make sure that every single stakeholder in the entire ecosystem also feels great in their interactions with that company and the product. And so the head of vibe, whatever the, whatever the title is, to some, it may sound ridiculous unless you actually say, hold on, no, that is necessary. And making the choice to be in the hospitality industry is just about deciding what is necessary and what is not. And once you've decided something that's necessary, then by definition, you're going to invest the resources to make sure that you're doing it consistently and well. Yeah, absolutely. I think we're going to see a lot of new roles um, coming up that are going to be focused on how one staff feel, how the customer feel, how the customer feels, because it is so important. And I know if we look at it from the how the, the staff feel, we were talking about this the other day where companies will say their culture is flexible and they're family friendly. And, and what that means is, you know, a pizza party at Christmas to one company, but it might mean something else to somebody yeah. else. And, and I think we're going to start seeing um, more like uh, parental engagement, man, you know, people who are looking after the people who um you know, are going on paternity leave and how does that feel when they go out? Because a lot of people complain that they go on maternity leave or, or paternity leave. And then um, when they there's no communication, when they come back, they're offered a redundancy or you know, they're or they or the or their role has been downgraded or they or they don't know what's going on. So they're feeling, you know, not engaged, not engaged. And um but I suppose if we get back to the customer, you know, the I'd love for you to tell your hot dog story. Oh, yeah. That is like, seriously, there's no better story than, than the light bulb moment of that. Um, yeah, I, I will tell that. In one moment. The, the one thing you just said that kind of came top of mind, though, is I think as we move into this hybrid remote workplace, one thing that's becoming increasingly necessary is the leader, whether they themselves or through someone that they empower to play this role within the organization, needs to create the conditions for connection amongst those on the team. Because once upon a time, it would happen organically, whether around the proverbial water tower or after work at happy hour over drinks. Now it doesn't. Um, yeah, And the reality is, is that until the team has connected with one another, until they cease being a collection of individuals and come together as a trusting team, it's impossible to unlock their collective creativity and capacity. And now that needs to be done with more intention than ever before, because it doesn't just happen. Absolutely. And so I think that's actually going to be where we see a lot of people ultimately recognizing that's not an optional thing that's actually a need to optimize performance yeah this word intentional has been coming up as a as a really consistent theme from people who are at the forefront of this thinking and you're so right will it, you really have to be intentional about 
the culture you want to create about the inclusivity. They're not just words. You actually have to put energy and resources and whatever it takes to, to actually deliver on to, to deliver on things and to make the culture one where people do feel connected, where they can be creative, where they can be innovative, where they can bring their best selves into the organization. By the way, this was this was happening, right? Like you look at what was happening in all of the offices in Silicon Valley where they did all sorts of intentional experimentation in terms of office layout and design around moving everyone to a big open space and then game rooms and ping pong tables and snacks. And they were doing all these various A-B tests to see what conditions physically could they create to draw out the most creativity and the most connection amongst their team. That could be done through architecture. What Mm -hmm. I'm talking about right now needs to be done through emotion. Yeah. um, Which is which isn't necessarily hard. It just requires trying harder. Yeah. So talking about emotion, you know, how do we create a culture? We'll come back to your hot dog story soon because I think it's a great story, but let, let's stick on this little thread because I think it's a good one. How do we create a culture where our people do deliver exceptional experiences? Because, you know, you touched on something that whether it's the leader or somebody that's empowered has to have that intentionality. But but how, what are the physical things? What are the things that you've experienced? Because you've done it. I mean, you've you've done it many times over. What did you have to do to create that culture that empowered people? Well, maybe I'm answering the question partly, but that allowed people to deliver those exceptional experiences. Well, this actually is the right time for the hot dog story because it kind of that was like a light bulb moment that ultimately led to exactly what you're what you're asking about. Um, so the hot dog story for those of you listening who are wondering what <laughs> it's a good one. Um, I had had this idea of unreasonable hospitality in my head for about a year and a half because that was the impact that I wanted to make on the industry, and that was the thing that I believed were we to focus on would make us the number one restaurant in the world, but. When I first wrote those two words down, I didn't actually fully understand what they meant. By the way, I think that's okay. I think far too many companies spend so much time trying to perfectly articulate an idea that they never start pursuing one. I think if you feel enough of a connection to an idea, just trust in the fact that as you pursue it, it will reveal itself to you. And about a year and a half later, I was in the dining room helping the servers in a busier than normal lunch service when I found myself clearing appetizers from a table of four foodies who run vacation in New York just to eat at great restaurants and ours was their last meal they were leaving to go to the airport directly after lunch to head back home and I overheard them talking and they were going on and on about the great restaurants they dined at La Bernadette, Per Se, Danielle, Momofuku, now I live Madison Park but then one of them jumped in and said yeah but you know what we never had was a New York City street hot dog and it was like one of those light bulb moments in a cartoon um I walked back into the kitchen, dropped off the plates, ran outside of the hot dog cart, bought a hot dog, ran back into the kitchen, somehow convinced the chef to serve it. We cut it up into four perfect pieces, added a little swish of ketchup and mustard and sauerkraut and relish. And before their final savory course, which at the time was a honey lavender glazed Muscovy duck that had been dry aged for two weeks. I dropped off what we in New York call a dirty water dog. 
<laughs> and I explained it. I said, I want to make sure you don't go home with any culinary regrets. Here's your New York City hot dog. And they freaked out. I mean, I'd served millions of dollars worth of food, foie gras, lobster, caviar, wagyu beef. I'd never seen anyone react to anything I'd served them like they did to the hot dog. Um, athletes always go to the tapes and they've had a bad game to see what they could have done better. They don't often enough go to the tapes and they've had a good game to see what they did well to make sure they keep on doing that thing. And so I went to the tapes and the hot dog. What happened so that that could happen? And it was three things, simple in isolation, but collectively pretty powerful. The first was being present. And by that, I mean, like just caring so much about the person you're with that you stop caring about all the other things you need to do. If I hadn't been present, I never would have heard them say the thing about the hot dog. The second, which I think is especially relevant in customer service, is to take what you do seriously, but stop taking yourself so seriously. I think far too many people let self-imposed standards or company-imposed brand standards get in the way of them giving the people around them the things that will bring them the most joy. A hot dog in a four-star restaurant is sacrilegious until you look at how it made them feel. And third, it was this notion that if hospitality is about making people feel seen, the best way to do that is not to treat them like a commodity, but a unique individual. That in unreasonable hospitality, one size fits one. Um, if the hot dog was our new true north, those now were like our, our roadmap, those three things. And so I started encouraging the team to go into the dining room to be present with the people they were serving, to not take themselves too seriously, and to, with intention and creativity, find one-size-fits-one gestures to, to convey to their guests. And... That simple switch, along with hiring a person to help them execute those ideas, um, it, it, the restaurant caught fire with enthusiasm. The, the way the culture took root, it was really two parts. It was one, as a leader, choosing to trust them, um, mm. giving them the permission to bring their own creativity to the experience and then the resources to help them do that sustainably. And so permission, hey, go out there, come up with ideas, execute them. I'm not going to be a bottleneck. I'm not going to be looking you know, over your back. I've trained you well. I trust you. By the way, the more you trust people, the more trustworthy they become. And the more responsibility you give people, the more responsible they become. And here's the thing. Once people feel that sense of empowerment, once the people on my team are no longer just serving plates of food that someone else had created, but imbuing the experience with their own creativity, they felt such a heightened sense of ownership in the experience because I've yet to meet a single individual that won't give more of themselves to help something succeed than once they feel they have a genuine hand in determining what that thing is. I had taken a bunch of salespeople and turned them into product designers and you could feel the passion of their creativity in the experience itself. But also, I think a culture of hospitality is one of the easiest to implement because, I mean, listen, the, there's nothing more energizing than seeing the look on someone else's face than when they receive a gift that you're responsible for giving them. It can be 
come so quickly, one of the most beautiful addictions. I'd given my team the gift of being able to give other people gifts. And the first time they felt that feeling, they wanted to feel it over and over and over again. It didn't require pushing people to do it. It just required opening the door and showing them the way. I love that. I love that. That you know, and and the thing is that that is very few and far between these days. And I Absolutely. think those gestures have reduced within um, small and large companies like they used to be. I mean, it used to be that you know when you'd buy a car, you you know they'd do something for you if you bought a house, and all those little things have reduced as far as that extra mile. So I, I'm a true believer that if anybody who's starting a business today or wants to get their business to that next step, if they would just go that extra mile and start implementing these things, then not only will you feel um, good yourself, your employees will feel good when they go home, they'll feel good. I mean, who doesn't feel good when they do something nice for someone else? And like you said, you see that smile on their face. Yes. And and then they tell their friends about their experience and that's or they put it on social media these days and they'll be putting those acts of kindness or you know th those types of things on their on their so and it's a wonderful way to get the word around but i am still so surprised how many companies still are are in this kind of, to me that it feels like they're kind of in this rut like even when and they're working from scripts like they're working from a script as working opposed to working one size fits one, they're kind of going one size fits all. Yeah, exactly. Or even when you walk into a, a boutique or someone, so a lot of times people don't even look up and they don't say hello. And then you're going, or, you, or there's nobody around to, to, to wait on you. And if companies who want to really be successful, just take it to that next step and start training people too, to be more, thoughtful and to listen to what I wonder you were talking about the companies and um, uh, the tech companies that were putting all those things in place. But I wondered if they actually asked their employees what they wanted, you know, did their you do the employees want a ping pong table or maybe they want something else. Maybe do they want open plan environment? And I wondered how many of those companies took the time to sit down and really ask, not the leadership team, but the the whole workforce. It'd be an interesting mm. exercise these yeah, days. I don't, too. I don't know the answer to that. I mean, I, I think, I mean, listen, like those were done with, they were studied and pursued and done for a reason. I think actually I read something years later that it was actually not what people loved because the energy that was created in the absence of privacy doesn't lead to people doing their best work. It almost traded collaboration for, for privacy and efficiency at times. Um, but, you know, like when you walk into one of these places and the person doesn't even pick their head up to talk to you, it's not because that is a bad person. No one has just taken the time to show that person what right looks like because they haven't decided that that part of the experience is important enough to the company as a whole to deserve the attention required to take that time. That's right. It all goes down to training and it all starts at the top, doesn't it? You've got to, um, you've got to show it to your staff. You've got to, 
repeat it and live it and be the example. Um, you know, often I would hear I hear people say they go for the interviews and it's all wonderful and oh my God, I can't wait to work for this person. It's fabulous and everything. And then they get in there and the first week they're so disengaged and so disappointed because it's nothing like it was at the interview. And that's a shame because, you know, why, why isn't it like it was at the interview? <laughs> and why tell people these things if you're not going to practice what you preach? Yeah, I have no answer to that. No, I, can't, I, can't, I can't answer that. <laughs> <laughs> that's why there's some companies that are doing better than others. <laughs> how do we recover when, when things go wrong? Because things do go wrong. And I, and I totally hear the story about, you know, surprising and delighting and being present and giving people exactly what they don't even realise they want in that moment, um, which is where all that, that that beautiful stuff comes from. But I, I had my own very humbling experience recently. Um, we've got a, a villa in Bali that um, was rated 9.8 before COVID, like we were doing really, really well. COVID came, we got smashed, right? Everything shut down, nothing happened. So we've recently we've recently reopened, and I wrote to our first guest to say, "Hey, just letting you know, we've been you know closed during COVID. We had long term tenants, and you're our first, and we've just done a renovation. So you know, please tell us if anything should go wrong. Please, please tell us if there are any issues or or, or problems." Villa was looking amazing. Everything was fantastic, and lo and behold, we, had, we checked everything, and lo and behold, first day that they're there, the power goes out in the middle of the night. And it was it was awful, like awful for them because no no aircon. Bali's really hot, no aircon. I'm apologising profusely. We've got a team in Bali. I'm here in Australia. We've got a team in Bali. They're kind of looking after everything. I'm apologising directly, profusely to the to the to the guest, offering them, um, you know, it's, here's here's a gift, you know, to say sorry. Here's this to say sorry. Um, everything's fine. Next night, unfortunately, through no fault of anybody's. It happens again, oh. and and he was he by then he was not happy. I made the biggest and most humbling mistake of my life in dealing with that guest. I started throwing all sorts of things at this guest to try and apologize and make it up to him, but I never stopped to ask him what he wanted. Mm. And I think back now and I wonder, I mean, you've been in a beautiful situation where you've been able to be present and you've been able to surprise and delight and create these phenomenal experiences for people. But sometimes we don't know what people want because we're not physically present there or we haven't asked them what they want. In the end, after I threw a whole bunch of stuff at him, even offering to refund him two nights accommodation to say sorry, he said, I don't want I don't want your beers, I don't want your massages, I don't want the free nights, I don't want the refunds, I just want to get on with my holiday. But I didn't ask him what he wanted. Yeah. But that that there is a great lesson. I mean, listen, my my boss for years, Danny Meyer, would say that the path the success is paved with mistakes well handled. Um, and that's most certainly true in customer service. In fact, I think some of our most diehard loyal customers were those who we messed up with the first time and them bearing witness to how we were willing to do whatever it took to make it right was enough for them to realize 
that we were the kind of people they wanted to stick with for a long time and support. And I think it's, I mean, how you recover, what it is yeah. that you do to make things right, I think are, is that's such a situational thing, right? And mm. in many cases, it's clear what's wrong. And I think the worst thing you can do is if you've made a big mistake, if it's clear that you've dropped the ball to not nickel and dime people on recovery, like that's an opportunity for generosity because how you react then will dictate whether you're just pacifying them in the moment or making an investment into a long-term relationship with them. Mm. Um, but yes, the greatest form of hubris is to assume that other people see the world through the same lens that you do. And sometimes if it's not abundantly clear what right looks like, asking the question doesn't remove in any way whatsoever the authenticity of the gesture. Yeah, absolutely. You know, what can I do to make this up to you as opposed to here, have this, here, have this, here, have this. It's like, yeah, what can I do? To, what can I do to like make things right, right now? Yeah. You can always do more later, but how can you serve them? What can I do to best serve you right in this moment? Absolutely. It's and not that hard, is it? It's not. It's like when you break it down, it's actually not that hard, and yet we just don't think about it. It's not. And maybe that's your point, Will, is we're not making a priority of unreasonable hospitality. It's not high enough on our list of things that we want to be known for as people and as organizations. Yeah, it's not that hard. It just requires trying harder. It just requires making the decision that it's necessary. Mm. Like if I'm talking to you through a microphone right now, right? No one at the microphone company would ever debate whether or not it needed a cord to plug it into the computer, right? It needs this cord. Otherwise, it doesn't work. The question is whether you decide that the way you engage with the people, the customers, the employees is as essential to the company achieving its mission as the cord is to the microphone actually working. And by the way, I'm not saying that everyone has to do this. I'm just saying I believe it's the right approach to take, not only because it will make the business more profitable, and I do very strongly believe that these investments although more difficult to calculate the return on them, do have a return so vast it's almost incalculable. But it also just feels better. And in this day and age where almost every country is dealing with some amount of difficulty in staffing the varying industries, everyone's investing in paying people a little bit more or giving people a bit more balance between work and life, both of which are important. I'm not arguing that. But both of which are, are effectively just treating the symptoms and not the underlying condition, which is to make the work more meaningful, to, to restore a sense of importance to it. And I believe that that comes through reminding people that no matter what you do, you have an opportunity, perhaps even a responsibility to genuinely impact other people. Um, and I think that comes truly from hospitality. Yeah, absolutely. And That's I think true for any industry. Thing. 
I think the important thing and and the other thing is like there's a human aspect, which that is what makes you feel good and makes the other pe- person feel good. And, they, and that has its benefits. Definitely. That should be first and foremost. But I like what you said about the the investment. Like those things are an investment, those extra what we call add-ons to our investments in future future business or just um, referrals or, or whatever. I mean, I, one of my biggest clients that I had years ago that helped me start my business um, back then was um, an executive who was going for a role with one of the, the, the big search firms. And that search firm was not helping them because a lot of times they um, – you know, would be, they have a consultant and sometimes they make you feel like they're doing you a favor yeah. <laughs> where I always, I always took the view and, and with my consultant saying the candidate is also our client, not just the client who pays our retainers. And this, this candidate um, came to me and the, the company wasn't helping him in this assignment. So I actually prepped him, even though I wasn't getting paid the hundreds of thousands that they would have, the big company would have got. Um, it was an investment because I helped him with his interview. I even drove him to the interview and, <laughs> because it was he had a tight, tight time between um, one meeting and another. And I said, that's OK, I'll drive you. Got in the car, drove him. And it was literally from one end of Collins to the other. This is in Melbourne. And um, he got the job huge job with a huge insurance company, um, executive general manager level role. I got all the business after there. And that was my first big, huge client that I had for 25 years. And that investment of just being nice to someone, spending the time, because I really kind of felt sorry for him because it was during the time when um, there was a recession and there was mm. a lot of redundancies and there were a lot of these executives that had been made redundant. And it's people think it's easy for them to get a job, but it's actually harder for them to get a job because there's less of them. And, and you know, he had a family and everything. Anyway, I um I didn't feel that sorry for him because let's just say he was on uh-huh. 600000 But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> the, the more you make, the more you spend. Um, so anyway, but the moral of the story, just going that extra mile and investing in some things that really aren't part of your normal job description or part of people expect will pay off in the end and it will make you feel good. I felt good that he got the job. I felt even better that I got his business. (laughs) (laughs) Well, but more likely than not, you weren't doing that. In the moment you're doing that to just to do the right thing by a human being. And then it worked out that it paid dividends over time. Exactly right. And it was a lesson as well for other consultants to see that just because you're not placing a candidate at that particular time, that person is someone that you will know for the whole of your recruitment career. And you you need to leave a good impression with them because they might be a candidate today, but they might be a client tomorrow. And then often throughout the years, it changes over or they refer a good candidate. So, you know, that's the whole thing at the end of the day with all businesses is that you want repeat business and you want people to refer business. You want them to love what they got. You don't want to sell somebody something and then they go away and they go, that was the worst meal or that product was the worst thing I ever had. I would hate to think that a customer walked away feeling let down yeah 
And they're they're likely to become keyword warriors if they've had a really bad experience. They're likely to to badmouth you really, really quickly, almost faster than they would if they've just had a good experience. I think exceptional people talk about, bad people talk about. If it's just middle of the road, it's like that's kind of what people expect now. Yeah, but, I mean, unfortunately, people are more inclined to write negative reviews than positive reviews. That's just kind of a part of the way the world works. That's exactly, that's, you know, I've um, I've started to do this little thing about shout out to good companies where, you know, if you get good service, go on there and say why you got great service and, and the person, because we do need to shout out more to the ones that give good service because they should be rewarded for it. And it was, you know, I had a situation not long ago where I was um, arranging flights and somebody referred a um, uh, agency in Sydney and I contacted, contacted, it was a referral, like it was a close referral. So somebody that knows someone and had the conversation, they didn't get to the appointment on time. Then when I spoke to him, I had this feeling of, you know, I just can't be bothered. And it was a big flight to Japan, the States, all around. It wasn't like something, hotels. It was a complicated thing, but it, it was still a good one for an agent to do, right? And so they said, well, we can't do this 12 months in advance, but um, I'll give you a call in two weeks and we'll sort it. Never Two months later, I never heard. So a friend referred um, the Sarah from uh, Flight Center in Launceston. I made the appointment. I went in. This girl had this everything organized within the hour that I was there and she went over and above because I, I said, look, just get me to LA because <laughs> I no, think no. this is going to be complicated. Just get me and we can fly to Japan, get me to LA and I'll sort it out from there. And she's going, but you're not going just to LA. She goes, you're going to Boston. You're going here. She goes, no, no, I'll don't worry. It's not that hard. I'll sort it out. She had it all sorted out and we, and the best price. And I actually gave her the wrong name middle name of my husband on the passport because when I got home I I realized that he didn't have that on his passport and that's a big no-no because then they got to redo the whole thing all over again not just one ticket they got to re-ticket both of them she never complained she went not a problem I'll do it that's okay these things happen but and I'm like going where have you been all my life? I will always Uh my business to you this is just such a um, breath of fresh air yeah. I mean, I love that because she made you feel like valued and heard and seen and it's very what, cool. Yeah. What can I do? What and, You know, and I'll tell that story probably to every friend I have who's going on holiday. I'll say, call her, make an appointment. She'll do it for you. And the other person is probably. Now she's on the podcast. And now she's on the podcast. I'll have to tag her in. <laughs> Thanks, Sarah. <laughs> But those are the things you re- you remember really great service and you remember really bad service. And both. Well, it's the whole idea of people will forget what you say, they'll forget what you do, but they'll never forget how you made them feel. That's really the only thing that you remember, yeah. right? The only reason you remember that story is because of how she made you feel. And then the details of the story come back to you. But for most people, the details just fall short and they never even, they never even come along. You're remembering it just because of that feeling that she gave you. And that's honestly why I believe like there's so much nobility in what anyone who makes the choice to be in the hospitality industry gets to feel is because you can genuinely impact other people simply by 
by caring more and trying a bit harder. It's all mindset, isn't it? I mean, if you think about it, even from a sporting point of view, it is. It's all mindset. All these teams in the pro in the pro levels, they're all they all have great athletes. They all had great facilities. You know, basically the product is good, but the coach and the mindset and how they're thinking is what gets them over the line, gets more goals. So you know, it's going that extra mile. Um, so it's really important. You know, we're already running out of time, Christine. I can't believe we could really be talking about this. I want to, I, I, just to wrap this up, let's just, I think, um, what would you say to the audience as the takeaways today that they should think about when going into their next venture or their business or as an employee dealing with their next customer? What do you think the the key takeaways are today? Or what would you advise them? I'll start with you, Will. But if you're starting something new, how you how you model a business, what expenses you build into a business from day one, it's a really important decision to make because once you, if you run, I mean, listen, most businesses just cut expenses over time. If you start a new enterprise without investing in relationships and the things that really matter, it's much, much more difficult later in the lifespan of that business to circle back and add those expenses in. Um, my dad would always say to me, ask yourself what right looks like, and then do that. Ask what kind of business you want to be. Decide what is required to actually live up to that expectation you have for the business. And choose from day one to put your money where your mouth is. Um, and then build the model such that it can sustain investments in people. Um, because the moment you skip it once, it's very hard to unskip again. Absolutely. Christina? Yeah, it's kind of building on, I think, what, what Will's been saying and, and the conversation we've been having today. This word intentional, I think, is really, really powerful. So I really believe that whole intentionality about wanting to make delivering unreasonable hospitality or high levels of customer service, high levels of 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 client engagement, make it a core, make it a core value. It, it can't just be an also thing and it can't just be something that sits on a list and then you tuck into your bottom drawer because it's there. You know, it's it's you've really got to you've really got to live it. And I think the the other powerful thing that I think Will has really highlighted is that the leader has to be bold enough and brave enough to trust their people to execute on it, to be empowered. And that takes a special leader to actually say, here's what we're about, now you go and make it happen. So if you're a leader that's not doing that, might be a bit of time for reflection and understanding why you're not doing that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I would just finish with that saying that put yourself in the customer's shoes. Would you deal with you? Who, what, how would you react in that situation? What do you, what would you like? And then, and then emulate, emulate it. And, you know, you know, I'm a firm believer always, you know, um, be uh, empathize with the customer and, and think of, think of what's going on, what you would want. And if it's not good enough, well, then it's not good enough and do something about it and lift it to the next level. Then then what would what would really be impressive? 
what would really make them happy and do that and think about it. if you want to be in that top 10% of businesses, those are the things that you should be doing is you should be lifting your game to that next level and how you do it. And um, I would also advise everyone to go in and watch Will's TED Talk. I watched that the other day. Uh, can I tell you, I still got that dream weaver in my head. I still got <laughs> that stuff in my head. It's been in my head for like two days. I think you should go to the um, the person who wrote the song and, and ask for royalties because probably <laughs> everybody who's watched your TED Talk probably is ha- the same thing has happened. But it's a fantastic and there's a, a, a lot more... Um, tips in that in the TED talk as well as far as unreasonable some of the things that you said that um you know you like your real estate agent I won't go into it but and of course in the book and the book as well so really appreciate you taking your time and coming to see us we really enjoyed and god I hope I get to New York one day where I can mm. go to the restaurant. <laughs> what, a, what a pleasure it's been to spend time with both of you very sincerely thank you so much for having me on thanks a lot thanks lovely to meet you thanks Will Bye, guys. For more information about Every Step and our guests, head to everysteppodcast.com. To be notified of new podcasts, please subscribe via your favorite listening platform. And of course, follow us on social media and direct message us to share your ideas about guests or topics.